Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. Now that mini eggs are available all year round, are they any less special? They are significantly less special. But still delicious. Incredibly delicious. Coming to you almost live from the Bridge of the Nautilus. This is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. We are your hosts. It's true. We are still your hosts after all this time. It's true. Adam hasn't dined to replace me. And I have not bothered to replace him. With who, Scott? With whom would I replace you? With whom? With whom? With who? You did replace me briefly with Optimus Prime. He uh, he insisted, and uh, that was a while ago. Wow, that was a really long time ago. Yep. Was that because you Callbacks. were you were away? Uh, I believe that is correct. You might have been uh, you might have been traveling or something. That's possible. That seems possible. It seems like it might have been possible. Uh, I do apologize if my voice sounds a little odd. This episode is because I'm coming off a cold. You actually sound it has affected my voice. You sometimes. sound lovely. Oh well, thank you. It's. Uh, it's if I should start hacking or sneezing throughout this, that also would be blamed on my cold. We're going to try and avoid that okay. at all costs. This, this is a, a solo show for Scott and I. It's true. Uh, and it's not because we couldn't find it. Yes. No, why was that ever? That is not at all why we are here by ourselves. No, absolutely, positively, definitely not. No. Uh, we just decided that it was high time. We haven't done one of these shows since uh, last season. It's true. We've always had. And we did a couple of them, actually. Yeah, and that's, that is because we failed to yes. get a guest. But this time, it was willful. Because we have so much shit to talk about. Or so much shit to talk, period. I think. I think we do. There are noises, strange noises that, that are bothering Scott. This is not an airtight studio. No, it's... We did try to construct it in a vault. We did. But... Uh, we were going to call it Vault 101. That's right. And uh, unfortunately, the, uh, there was a tremendous cost <laughs> that went into that. And um, we don't have that kind of budget. No. We don't have any kind of budget, actually. Really? Even though we have sponsors. We have very limited budget. It's true. Um, but, uh, I mean, there's, there are a few things we could talk about, uh, which we always seem to do around this time of year, and that is the coming of the summer months. That's true. Very we excited. usually take a, a break for a time over the summer. That's true. Uh, a time when you yourselves may take a break and enjoy the summer months. You, you could not bear to put us in your ears during the summer. Or ever. <laughs> now that I think of the way I phrase that. Yep. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll uh, you know, we've only got a few episodes left this season. It's been a great season. Uh, so far, so good. Yeah. Let's not jinx it. Okay. I'm gonna we'll knock on wood a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, and hope that things don't go terribly awry now that you've you're, you're put not, us on the spot. You're not filling me with a lot of confidence. <laughs> Let's hope this whole thing doesn't explode in our faces. Yes. I've been saying that since episode three, really, though. So. Yeah. And it's only exploded a few times in our faces. A couple. Yeah. It's like holding a gun. Uh, while you're looking into the barrel and you have your thumb on the trigger. That's what I mean by exploding in our faces. Scott literally doesn't have a face anymore. <laughs> That's not true. People have seen me. It's in public. That well, recently. There was a surgery. That's true. A massive surgery. Uh, it is interesting you bring up guns. Oh, no. <laughs> not the kind I'm hoping you're talking about? No, uh, I, was, I was listening to another podcast on the way in, and it's a story that's been in the news and uh, it just came to mind again about the, um, the engineer in Texas who designed a working gun that you can print on a 3D printer. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about this. And they're, and they're trying to ban the, they're trying to prevent people from printing and using this gun. Because it is a, a working lethal weapon that you can print on a home computer. That's pretty crazy. And is made of plastic, which means that it can't be detected by a metal detector. How can it propel a projectile and not melt? It might only be one use. Oh. I don't know. The, I, I honestly am ignorant of the full science behind the 3D printed gun. But suffice to say, it was a very interesting decision for that person to 
put the schematics on the internet. Yeah. I'm, it's I'm, one thing to design it for yourself. Yeah. It's another thing to say, hey, everybody, why don't you print yourself a gun? Now, I imagine this guy's going to get into some kind of trouble for this. Apparently, he's a law student. So he's not. He, so he, he did this presumably with some knowledge about the way the law works. Yes. And he's probably not in big trouble. Let's assume that he's not. But this is crazy because, like, one of the things that I marvel about all the time is walking around with my iPhone or my iPad um, is the fact that we we are living in the Star Trek era. Like, the printer, you know, has become the replicator in uh, a lot of ways. Almost. We're yeah. almost there. We can't get food out of it yet. Well, not... But you can print... You can print flavors... Now, this is ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous. Flavors onto edible paper. That's true. So we're getting closer. But... Um, I don't know. What do you think about the whole 3D printing thing? Do you think it's going to be a, a liberating democratization of manufacturing? Um, I think no, <laughs> but bear with me. Sure, yeah. I think that is because it is a transitional technology. Really? I think it is, the, I think it is, it is an evolution of a technology that's going to be better that will do that. Okay. I think it's, it's not quite there yet. So what do you think the next step in, or the, yeah, one of the next steps anyway, in the 3D printing thing is, do you think we'll be able to print metal objects? I think that would be the, that would be the logical step. Wow. Being able to, to print more than just plastic, essentially. That would be pretty incredible for like, I don't know, the, uh, I think immediately the, the at-home tinkerer, the inventor. Yeah. You know, you, you're, you're building stuff and you need a part, or you, you need to design a part, you don't want to spend you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on like a CNC machine. Well, exactly. And you can just fucking do it yourself. It's crazy. Actually, one, I was having beer one day with Owen Brierley, one of our wonderful sponsors, and we'll talk about that later. Um, and he, he and a friend were, were hanging out, and I met with them for beers, and his friend had a working valve that he'd printed on a 3D printer. Like it was a small, like a, probably like a centimeter in diameter, and had like a, a functioning valve piece to it. And I, my mind was blown because for me, when I've, I've never seen, I don't believe other than that, a, f a 3D printed object. And I always just assumed that about all you could print were like bendy straws and cups. <laughs> you know, that was the extent of it for me. So it was a... You no, know, you can get pretty, pretty technical and pretty precise too, as I understand it. So, um, but as the, as the gun situation proves, uh, with any new technology there comes unexpected consequences. Yes. Someone will figure out how to use that technology in a way that, was, that it was not intended for yeah. to do something terrible. And uh, this is just another example of 3D it. printed nuclear warheads. Oh, well, you can't print isotopes. Well, not yet. Yet. I mean, really. All you need is like a bag of them to hook them up to the, I think it's a printing hose, they call it. <laughs> <laughs> you can just spray your warhead full of isotopes. There you go. Obviously, I'm a man of science. I know these things. I don't know anything. You're a man of advertising science. I am, yes. <laughs> Marketing science. It's more of an art, really. I mean, <laughs> truly. Truly it is. But uh, there's a lot of uh, other stuff to look forward to other than, you know, printing weapons and that sort of thing. Uh, in a few days, uh, by the time you hear this podcast, a few days from the release of this show, the new Arrested Development season will be on Netflix. That's true. Which I am extremely excited about as am i i've uh, i've been i'm a avid user of tumblr i've been following a lot of people who've been tumbling about arrested development and i just got a joke that uh that mitch hurwitz wrote into the original show which is when when buster bluth is uh, he skips his basic training or whatever and goes and plays with the claw machine and wins all those prizes mm -hmm. He tells his mother that when he walks home, she says, where were you? And he says, what, or what's all that stuff? And he says, well, these are my awards from Army. And it never occurred to me that Buster was referring to the claw machine as Army, as the Army thing that grabbed the other things. And uh, the thing I love about that show is no matter, I've watched it probably a dozen times straight through, and I get something new out of it every single time. Now, they're, they're only releasing 10 new episodes. But I'm, right. I'm very excited. I'm disappointed that there might not be any Steve Holt. Really? You think they could there commit was a whole episode to Steve Holt? Maybe not a whole episode, yeah. but to appear and say one of the Job episodes. <laughs> he is Job's illegitimate son. That's true. Uh, there was an online movement to have Steve Holt in the new season. Because uh, amongst the announcements of who was going to be returning, 
um, the actor, and the name eludes me, we could IMDB it right now, the actor who uh, plays Steve uh, was not amongst those who were announced. And so uh, this blog and this, uh, you can get t-shirts and such for Sa- Save Steve Holt, basically. <laughs> really? Um, it's like Save Ferris. Yeah, and it would, there was a whole Twitter thing. And uh, the idea was to get Steve Holt in the new season. I don't know that they were successful. That's too bad. Well, you never know, though. I mean, I feel like they're pretty good at uh, at keeping things under wraps. One of the interesting comments that I heard from Mitch Hurwitz is that uh, doing doing the show on Netflix, releasing all the episodes at once, was like kind of a no brainer because the way the shows are written, and I, I'm realizing this watching them one after the other now, the way they're written, there's so much reference and so much detail. And so much, you know, so many little lines sprinkled in it that are referring to things you don't even notice until much later. That Netflix is the ideal platform to release them on simultaneously because you're you're meant to watch them one right after the other. Or uh, I believe his actual quote was his preferred version: thirty seconds at a time per day. <laughs> is that what he said? Yes. That's awesome. So yeah, I'm very excited about it. By the way, Steve Holt, the actor who plays Steve Holt, is Justin Grant Wade, and surprisingly only in ten episodes out of out of the three seasons. But he there seems that like many. a more prominent character. Yeah, but I found that with a lot of characters. Uh, I was recently IMDbing some of them. Yeah. Uh, after it was announced that some of them would be returning, and I was surprised at, for example, how few episodes Bob Loblaw is in. <laughs> He's only like in four episodes, but he seems like a much more prominent character, and I think that is, um, I think that is an indicator of the quality of the show. Yeah. That the characters are so memorable that even bit players uh, in the show have uh, have stuck with people. Yeah, you feel like they should have been around for much longer. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm so I'm really looking forward to that. So I'm sitting here with uh, Lindsay McNeil of uh, Jillian's Just Right fame. And I understand that just the other day, just yesterday, when we're recording this, uh, the Sinecu Top 10 was handed down. And what were the results, Lindsay? We were not in the Top 10. Oh, that's brutal. Oh, geez. So how did you feel about not making the cut? You know, we were disappointed at first, obviously. And, uh, and then kind of relieved because then we know the whole auditioning process is over and there's no more video challenges. Um, And then kind of thinking moving forward, really excited because now it's back in our hands. We know 100% that we will own the creative rights to our own stuff. Uh, We're gonna be very careful moving forward um, in terms of maintaining that. And we really wanna film this in Edmonton. And you know, there was a possibility at the end that that might not have happened. So we're, we're glad where we're at, you know? Yeah, so in a way, a bit of a blessing in disguise. I think so. And my Mama Jane says that all the time, that you never know what good news is. And I think the fact that all of us are feeling really good and kind of relieved is it's probably a sign that we're on the right track. So. Right. So, so I mean, the in the end, you didn't make the top 10. You're, you do have plans to do other stuff. Let's talk a little bit about the... Sinecu process. I mean, before we turned on the recorder, we talked about um, all the video challenges that you guys had to do. Do you feel like that sort of distracted from your end goal, or or what did that what did that help your team to achieve? Um, it was definitely a distraction in some aspects uh, because not all of them really reflected what our film was really about. Um, but at the same time, it really forced us to think on our toes and really extend to the community in Edmonton. Like we wouldn't have reached out to the Roxy Theater or the Metro or the other Sinecu teams to create a collective party together. Um, so it really pushed us out of our comfort zones. And I think as filmmakers, we've grown so much because of that. You mentioned, uh, you know, meeting folks from the Roxy Metro and other teams, how have those new relationships, or how do you think those new relationships will help you guys as you move forward? Well, particularly with the top 40, we really bonded, right? So um, the last video store and Autoscript uh, and the Uprising, we, we were just kind of in this together, and it was a crazy whirlwind thing, and we were all super stressed out. 
Um, I love the producers of Autoscript, and I actually won a cameo in their film. So once they go forward, I get to help them out with that. And uh, Tim Rutherford from The Last Video Store was also nominated for an Ampia. Um, I got Best Screenplay for Truck Stop Bloodsuckers. He was uh, Best Costumes. And if anyone's seen The Last Video Store, the costumes for that B-horror movie stuff was just amazing. So uh, him and I are going to get together actually this week or next to talk about him doing the design for the monster for Jillian's Just Right. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Now, um, you're, you're out of the competition. You've experienced a lot of benefit from being in it. Who are you throwing your support behind? Uh, I think it ends at the end of May, right? So, so which teams are you looking to throw your votes and support behind? Well, obviously, The Uprising, which is from Edmonton. Uh, these guys are seriously the next Steven Spielbergs of Canadian cinema. Um, they're very young, 18 years old, just graduated high school. The quality they've been producing has just been, you know, punching way above their weight. And uh, they're super, super nice people. So Zach and Akash, we just love them so much. And they're getting our votes. And also, we're going to throw a couple to Wolf Cop out in Regina. Because obviously, it's, it's the most amazing project ever. I remember when I watched the trailer, the, the supers on their trailers said things like, some men become monsters, some men become... <laughs> heroes and some men become both yes. and i think i was pretty sold after that yeah. and their their new uh trailer is uh the tagline is dirty hairy only hairier so yeah we we really appreciate those guys and we've been networking with them from the beginning and and really like them too so well that does now being out of the the Sinecu contest such as it was you said uh, you've said in a couple places in social media doesn't mean the end of the road for Jillian's just right. And I understand that part of the Sinecu contest forced you to do a lot of writing of the script. So what are you what are you planning to do next with Jillian's just right? Well, I think the fact that we made the top 15 out of Canada is still huge. Right. So we're still riding on the excitement and success of that. Um, Right now, I'm actually working with a story editor to revamp the script and have it done more so how I really want it to be done, uh, without the pressure and without the deadlines. And uh, so I'm taking the rest of the month off to really focus on that and, and revamp it. And then our plan is just to find a way to make it ourselves, uh, either through crowdsourcing or... Um, telefilm grants anything that we can we can do I don't I honestly don't think you're gonna have much trouble uh, raising at least some money for the film and uh, you also mentioned that y you wanted the ability to control where the film was shot you've mentioned in previous interviews that doing it in Edmonton is important to you can you just reiterate why you want to do it in Edmonton well when the Sinecu challenge came forward we really thought if what we want to do is bring new indie talent to the fold, then it should be somewhere where the industry isn't already thriving. And I feel like it's likely Vancouver, Toronto will win this competition because there's a lot of experience and a lot of money into those projects already. I'm really striving to support Regina and Edmonton because we are the underdogs of the film industry in Canada and we need this more than other cities do. Uh, especially in Regina, there's been a lot of tax cuts to the film industry. Um, and in Edmonton, there's really a not a lot of places for people to go. There's not a lot of production companies that will, um, that will foster new talent. They'll pay for our ideas and they'll take them, but they won't bring us along for the ride. And I think that's why a lot of Edmontonians end up leaving to Vancouver and Toronto because they are looking for those opportunities. So I think if we foster our talent in, their or, uh, in our own city and create jobs here for people, we're going to have more money brought in. And I don't see how money in Edmonton is a bad thing. Why anyone would want to turn that away? I don't know. So No, I don't, I don't understand that logic either. Um, so if Jillian, Jillian's Just Right gets funded and made in Edmonton, will there be opportunity to cast extras? Absolutely. Not not just that, like crew, 
we want, you know, all the disgruntled, you know, Edmontonian, you know, people that have been in the industry for a long time that are, are kind of like thinking the industry's dead. We want to change their mind and, and bring hope into their life again and, and uh, have them mentor younger people as well. So there's kind of a sustainable program here in Edmonton. Um, the, the fact that we might not have been able to do that with Sinaku was really sad for us and, and we weren't happy with that. So the fact that it's back in our hands and back in our court, we're ecstatic. So it sounds like you'd be okay not just getting inexperienced extras, but inexperienced crew who can learn all about making films. Is that right? We want to be mentored and mentor. Like that's kind of the plan is um, we we want this to be a sustainable thing for us. We want not just the lifestyle. We we want this to be our life, right? Like live, breathe, eat film. Um, and I, there's so many passionate people. Like um, once we got the news, like my phone was just lit up with all these people being like, no, you needed the top 10 and okay, we're making this happen. What do you need? Money, crew, cast, what do you need? I'll help. So I think the fact that Edmonton supports us so much with that speaks to the heart here. Like they're just waiting for someone to go forward and and kind of take the lead and that's what we want to do. Okay, so if people do want to help, you haven't started a Kickstarter campaign or anything, but if people want to donate time or resources, how do they get in touch with you? I would say just go to our Facebook page right now. Um, that's going to be the most active thing. Uh, so Jillian's just right on Facebook. We're also still GJR Movie on Twitter. Um, and you can email us at right at gmail.com. Great. Well, Lindsay, I'm sorry you didn't make the top 10, but I think you're still going to do amazing things. So as they say in your industry, break a leg. Thank you. Yeah, no, we're really excited. It's not the end of us for sure. Do you have a business plan, but you're not sure where to go from there? Do you want to increase sales? Get noticed? Wow your audience? Make your mom proud? Well, we've got you covered. We're connected, we're creative, and we're innovative. We are strategy first. If you've got a great product or service and you want the whole world to take notice, Call Focus Communications. Let's start a conversation. Go to focuscom.ca. Are you looking for current, relevant, highly specialized digital media instruction? You need to seek out the Guru. Guru Digital Arts College offers intense six-month programs that simulate real-world projects. You'll work in small classes in a casual professional environment and meet industry pros who offer a mentor-style approach to learning. Some institutions make the same claim, but with Guru, you'll develop the confidence to get out and become a part of the digital media community. Come visit us anytime. Check out a class, talk with our instructors, and be part of the Guru experience. For more information, email info at gurudigitalarts.com or call 1-877-429-4878. And now, a dramatic reading with Scott C. Bourgeois. The great race are beings of enormous intellectual and psychic powers that once dwelt in the dying world of Yith. They escaped the destruction of their home planet by transferring their minds to the bodies of a species native to the Earth in the far distant past. They lived on this planet for 200 million years or so in fierce competition with the flying polyps, whom they initially subdued. However, this enemy over time increased in number, and near the close of the Cretaceous era, about 65 million years ago, rose up and finally destroyed the civilization of the race of Yith, forcing the Yithians to flee en masse to other bodies located in the far distant future. In the bodies that the great race of Yith inhabited on the Earth, they were tall and cone-shaped, rising to a point with four strange appendages, all of which can extend and recede at will to any distance up to about ten feet. Two terminate in claws, the clicking of which acted as a mode of communication, 
a third in four red trumpets, and the fourth a yellowish globe featuring three eyes around the central circumference, flower-like ears on top and tentacles on the underside. They have no sexes and reproduce by spores instead, though rarely because of their species' longevity. Movement is achieved via expansion and contraction of a gray rubbery layer at the base of the conical body. The unique ability of this scientifically advanced race was to travel through time by swapping minds with creatures in other eras. This allowed them to satisfy their interest in human culture, science, and occult beliefs. Occupied beings' minds transferred to Yithian bodies against their will. These captive minds were queried by skilled inquisitors, while the Yithians used their bodies and learned as much as possible about the societies in which they dwelt. Although captive minds were prisoners, they were nonetheless granted some freedoms in exchange for their cooperation. These captive minds who cooperated with the great race were allowed to wander the Yithian cities at will and to browse the Yithian's gigantic library, which contained metallic cases with books made of an incredibly long-lasting material that recorded the histories of uncounted alien races, including that of humanity. Creatures inside a Yithian body could also communicate with other captive minds from across our universe and beyond, from past to distant future. Once the great race had learned all they could from a captive mind, the occupied being's intellect was swapped back, with the additional precaution of erasing or suppressing all knowledge of the great race. Even so, it is possible for scraps of knowledge or experiences gleaned from their time with the great race to remain in dreamlike states. Because the great race traveled to the future as well as the past, they foresaw their own destruction by the flying polyps. Before that fateful day, the great race transferred their best minds forward through time into the bodies of a coleopterous race, Earth's dominant species after the destruction of humankind. One of their factors, one of the factors involved may have been the fact that the flying polyps were completely wiped out at that point in history. We should take a moment. We should break briefly for a moment. Uh, amidst this segment-ridden solo, solo show. Yes. Uh, to uh, thank some people. Some very important people in our lives. Uh, starting with Focus Communications. Yeah. And The Fabulous Humans. The Fabulous Humans, their forthcoming sitcom, still in production. In the meantime, they run uh, Focus Communications, which is a PR uh, company. And uh, we have had their support all of this season and, and have been very pleased to have their support. They're tremendous. Uh, check them out on the web at focuscom with one M dot com. And we should also thank uh, a sponsor who's been with us since nearly the beginning of the show. Very nearly. Yeah. Um, it's a little college that could and does. Frequently. Often. All night long. Yeah. And uh, it's called Guru Digital Arts College. They are the Hogwarts of digital media instruction here in Edmonton. And if you are thinking about changing up your career, learning how to do art on the computer, design web pages, uh, web comics, uh, do they have an audio program yet? They were working They're on working it. on one, There's yeah. There's a game design program. Yep. Uh, if it involves computers and art, chances are they can teach it to you or at least will die trying. Yeah, oh yeah, they and, will They will literally die trying. And uh, they are, of course, headed by their Dumbledore-esque bearded headmaster, Owen Brierley, who has been a longtime and vocal supporter of the show, and for that we thank him. Very much so. So, uh, yeah, check them out, gurudigitalarts.com. Yeah, that's right. I'm very excited for uh, this summer's movies. They're, they're, they've already started being to be released. Iron Man 3 is out. Have you seen it? Yes. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, well, and I would recommend against spoiling anything yeah. this early. I'm told uh, it is, by at least a few people, the best of the three. Um, I would I would say I would agree with that, actually. Would you? Yeah. I think I did enjoy it more than the first one. Hmm. I can I can see why someone might might agree that the first one is better. Yeah. And say this one. This one is undisputably better than the second one, which was kind of eh. Um, it was eh. 
And I know that there were some people upset with some of the decisions for this movie, and I'm not going to go into any further detail because that Damn. might enter spoiler territory. But I think that a lot of that was just knee-jerk nerd rage and that those people need to mellow out. There's a lot Because of that. the movie actually was really good. It's hard to defend against that knee-jerk nerd rage. Speaking of which, Star Trek comes out next week. And there are probably going to be a lot of knee-jerk nerd rage coming from the other side of this table. Oh, yes. Um, and I don't know if you've ever watched um, Honesty Trailers on YouTube. It's a great, uh, a great series of trailers they do that basically take old movies and, and redo the trailers for them and make them sound really absurd. Uh, I just Excuse me, I did warn you against my cough. You did cough, it's true. Um, and I watched the Honesty trailer for uh, the, the first J.J. Uh, Abrams Star Trek film. And in a lot of ways, these Honesty trailers will ruin movies for you because they point out things that happen that, that uh, and they position them in a way where you're just like, oh, fuck, yeah, that is really dumb. <laughs> But uh, I refuse. I'm undeterred. I'm going to love the new Star Trek movie. It'll be fast-paced. Yes. It will be not... Spock and Kirk will punch some dudes. <laughs> Maybe each other. I don't think they do. I Probably think they're friends now. They're friends now. They, I would presume they'd, they'd have thrown out some of that Spock versus Kirk stuff from the first movie. Some of their own nerd for, rage? For character development purposes. Of course, yes. Uh, Bones will say something witty and pithy at some point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, likely Sulu will do some Kung Fu. Yeah. Uh, Scotty will say that he cannot change the laws of physics. Yeah. Uh, Chekhov will do something techy and amazing. And Uhura will punch a dude in the face because that's apparently her new role as an action girl. You think so? You think she's going to punch some dudes in the face? Yes, because most linguists are also awesome fighters. All the ones I know are. It's true. So. I, I, this isn't even sarcasm. This is fact. Yeah. In order to get your linguistics degree, you must be like a fourth degree black belt. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, you know, it just doesn't have to be karate. It's, I think it's any martial art We'll now. do. Yeah. Well, yeah. They, they opened that up eventually. Yeah. So. I mean, I mean, they wanted, they were running out of, you know. You'd be surprised how many people who are MMA fighters are also. Cunning linguists. Like, like have PhDs in oh, linguistics. Yeah. 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 It's, it's quite incredible. It's, uh, <laughs> it's one of the most interesting fields in the world. Really, it is. And, and, you know, you use that training all the time. Well, especially in. A situation like MMA, yeah, because you have to be able to trash talk someone in any language, really. Yeah, it's true. So, <laughs> so that's you know that's objectively true. What Scott just said. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think for Uhura, it's more about being in the military. That's also possible. Yes, <laughs> needing to know how to kick some ass. But yeah, no, it'll be it'll be interesting. I wonder I wonder how the nerds are going to react to. You know, yet another Star Trek movie that doesn't feel traditionally like a Star Trek movie. The, those Which movies is to say boring. Yeah, much more or cerebral. Awful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the to me the best original Star Trek movie was was uh, the Wrath of Khan. Undisputably, and it's, it, I would go so far as to say it might be the only good Star Trek movie. I like, with Star the exception Trek of the new Star Trek. I did like the new Star Trek movie. Yeah, yeah. So did I. But you didn't like Star Trek Six at all? Not really. But Christopher Plummer's in it. Not really. No, he is. He no, actually I, is. I just don't really care for it. Oh, damn saying. you. Damn you all to hell. Uh, there are some that are more tolerable than others. And I mean, I'm blanketing the Next Generation movies with this, too. Most Star Trek movies are disappointing. I guess so. I'm just But really... Wrath of Khan is just a good movie, oh, yeah. in addition to being just a good Star Trek movie. Yeah. Full impulse power. It's Ricardo Montalban. That well, he is glorious so. <laughs> that is exactly how uh do you think you know who benedict cumberbatch plays in the new film i don't believe that because I they've do. spoiled basically everything except for who that guy is no i don't i don't know and they have said there's klingons in the movie is that right yeah now i understand that he is a starfleet officer yes who goes rogue for some reason because why not because well that's what you do. and to be fair that happened quite a bit in the original series rogue starfleet officers now that i think about that that happened a lot in all of the Star Trek series. Yeah. Like that. that. Was, especially once... Okay. Next Generation era, which encompasses Deep Space Nine and Voyager as well. Okay. As soon as you hit the rank of Admiral, apparently you level up in corruption as well. Because oh, totally. like every Admiral in that series, virtually, not all of them, but virtually, was up to something. It was crazy. Only the ones, with the exception of one dude... As long as the Admiral was pally with Picard, you were probably okay. Otherwise, they were evil. 
Or, yeah, so Starfleet basically is a completely corrupt organization by the next generation. It's it's just like the United Nations. Utopia. Yeah. There you go. There's, it's unavoidable. The Federation is a communist military dictatorship run by assholes. Yeah. So it's <laughs> basically, <laughs> it's not unlike living in what I imagine modern North Korea is like. And, I, and modern, in air quotes, <laughs> because there's nothing modern over there except weaponry. As I understand it. So basically the only thing stopping them from being the Federation is starships. Yeah. <laughs> and guaranteed. <laughs> and guaranteed they're developing one right now. They do like jumpsuits over there. Yeah, holy shit. That's like that's like your first indication. And I am I know they have a whole platoon of fighting linguists. The 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 People's Democratic Republic sorry, the Democratic Republic of North Korea's fighting linguists. They're actually a group in the military. There you go. We've come you, full circle. You learn things every day here on this podcast. I don't know if learn <laughs> is the word that I would use. We are actually at the moment making you forget useful facts that you know Yeah. by replacing them with total garbage right now. But, but humorous and interesting. That's garbage. right. And that's really why you're here. More or less. If we don't have a guest, this is the best we can do. <laughs> oh, well, that's so sad. That is terribly sad. What other movies are you looking forward to this summer? This summer? Hmm. Well, Iron Man 3 was the big one. Really? Um, I will I will not lie about that. I am looking forward to Star Trek, but not with the same... Boner that I am? Zeal, yeah. Um, does Thor 2 come out this summer? I, will, I think it comes out closer to Christmas. Yeah, I, no, yeah, because I haven't seen any previews for it. There are, no, I've seen trailers. Not, but like not in a big way, yeah, the way it would be fair. promoted right now. So that that's probably later in the year. I am looking forward to the other Marvel movies as they start to roll out. Though. Same here. Now, is this the last Iron Man movie they're going to do? Someone said that it might be. I'm going to say no. Okay. Because it, it Based continues to make gangbusters money. Oh, God, yeah. And Robert Downey Jr. is clearly happy playing the character. Well, it's basically and him. plays it very well. Yeah. Um, so I, I imagine that that might be the last one until Avengers 2. And then at that point, they'll probably go, eh, we'll do another one. <laughs> cool. Um, Why not have him fight Adamantium, man? Uh, you know, it's... Yeah. What about uh, Man of Steel? Uh, I am. Uh, I have trepidation about Man in Steel. Man of Steel, not Man in Steel. He's not wearing steel. He is, however... Comprised of steel? No, he's steel not even like, like that. He's steel-like, steel-like yes. Um, <coughs> that said, I have heard some some decent early buzz, which suggests that it might actually be quite good. So I'll wait a little closer, too, before I make my, my judgment call about whether I'm going to go, and I will see it, inevitably. Of course. But whether I go and see it right away or wait until, wait until opening weekend is passed. So that so that my money doesn't count for as much. I'm very excited about it, and I think I might try and see the midnight screening of it. One of my issues with Man of Steel is that I am concerned that they are going to try to make it the jumping off point for a big Justice League thing. And I know that there's been talk about maybe doing it. Yeah. But the reason why I am not... The reason why, unlike the Avengers stuff, which I was like, yeah, Avengers, this is going to be awesome... I'm going, ah, Justice League, really? Is because, it's not even just because of Warner Brothers' track record with movies, with superhero movies, which is not good. (laughs) It is because I feel that they are doing it for the wrong reasons. Really? Marvel decided to do it because they wanted to experiment with a shared movie continuity between all of the comic properties they still retained the rights to. Yeah. And I think that that was an, it was an experiment. It was ballsy. It could have fallen flat on its face. Avengers could have been a, a terrible, horrible movie and, a, and a, just a total mistake. And then they could have backed off and just pretended it never happened, reboot everything, whatever. But it worked, and it worked really well. And I think that that success is the reason Warner Brothers is grudgingly deciding to do the same. It feels obligated to now that's and, sad and i think it, because they they it's like well marvel did it i guess we must compete. i guess we have to do it too if we want to compete and i'm like don't do it for that reason do it because you want to do it because you've got excited exciting ideas do it because you want to see all of these heroes on the screen together yeah. not because well those guys did it 
I guess we probably should. People will go see Batman movies from now until the end of time. Yeah. You don't need to shoehorn him into a Justice League movie just because. No. Do it because you want to tell a Justice League story and you want to do a shared continuity movie thing. Don't do it because, because. Yeah. Well, And I feel that that's their motivation. And I think that is, that is inevitably going to make it a failure for, for Warner Brothers, where it was a success for, for Marvel. There's probably pressure from studio execs that are very cynical about this sort of and thing. And have dollar signs flashing Ex- that, Exactly. I mean, they're, they're looking at what, what Avengers and, and Avengers movies has, have done at the box office, and they're drooling. Truly. Speaking of money, because we were just talking about Iron Man, um, Forbes publishes a list of the richest people in the world every year. Yep. And they also publish a list. The fictional 500. Yeah. So um, uh, I just thought it was interesting. Tony Stark is on the list. He's, uh, he has been for a couple years. Not as high up as I thought he would be. But do you know who the number one wealthiest fictional character is? Is this from 2013? I believe I'm looking. I can't find the 2013 one. I've got uh, the 2012 one. I remember. I remember reading it, but... I'm going to have to think for a second. I remember some of the people who were on it, but I don't necessarily remember the order they were in. Was Scrooge McDuck number one? He was in a previous year. Oh. But he uh, got... Was Smog number one. Smog was number there one. Smog is worth $62 billion. Because he is sitting on a hoard of treasure. And actually, literally. what's really funny is that it tells you the sources of their wealth, and mm-hmm. the source of wealth for Smog is marauding. Yeah. That's wicked. And then Scrooge McDuck was on the list, but did you know that he lost everything? To uh, Flintheart Glomgold? Yes, for a while. Yeah, he lost his uh, his entire fortune. Uh, Flintheart is number two on the list at $52 billion. Oh, there you go. And the sources of his wealth are mining and theft. Yep. <laughs> so basically, uh, according to Forbes, the best way to get ahead is to steal from people. It's true. It's true. So Tony I, Stark on that list, obviously. Yeah, he is a number, let me just see, your number five. He is less wealthy than Jed Clampett. And probably Bruce Wayne. Uh, yeah. Bruce Wayne is number eight. Oh, Bruce Wayne is, in fact, less wealthy. He is not Stark. quite so wealthy as Tony, which is a shame. But kind of makes sense. It does, yeah. Really, because Bruce is a terrible businessman. Yeah. And Tony is actually a really good businessman because he is a showboat. He and is. he basically goes around fighting crime and pimping Stark technology, while Bruce Wayne uses Wayne Tech to lurk in the shadows and punch crazy people. I love punching crazy people. <laughs> I, think, I think it's a good thing to do. Um, other things this summer that I'm really, other movies this summer that I'm really excited about is uh, Elysium which was done by the same guy who directed District 9. Yes. Uh, that one flew in under my radar. I only recently heard about it. Same. Yeah, no, someone but tweeted about it. I uh, took some looks at it and went, that actually looks like it could be pretty cool. Yeah, it does. And it stars, I think, Matt Damon. Yes. He becomes bionic. Yes. I mean, what more could you ask for from Matt Damon? Uh, I'm also looking forward to Pacific Rim. Oh, yes. Guillermo del Toro's giant robot kaiju movie. Yeah, that won't what be... What the hell? That How won't be interesting. How can you not go and see that? <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of good Giant stuff. monsters fighting giant robots. And then, yes. And then... Thank you, Guillermo. <laughs> <laughs> I will see that ten times. Yeah, probably, no matter whether it's good or bad. Well, if it's good. It'll be good. It, probably. It's going to probably... Guillermo del Toro has a pretty proven track record for me. Yeah. I, I haven't... So. I haven't disliked anything that he's put out. Really? There's some stuff that I like better than other stuff, but there's nothing that I've been like, oh, that's awful. <laughs> like, even Steven Spielberg has a couple misses for me. Really? But Guillermo del Toro has yet to miss for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. The Great Gatsby's out. Um, I not- kind of wanted to see that, and then it came out, and then I read some of the reviews, and I went, nah, I don't want to see that anymore. No? I guess. Apparently, it's very shallow. I, You know, so I've never read the book, which is something I need to get on. The book, is, okay. Classic American I've had, I've, uh, one of my friends has really passionate views about The Great Gatsby and how terrible F. Scott Fitzgerald is as an author. Um, I won't get into that. I will say it's one of those classics you should read, but it's not going to knock your socks off. It's not great. 
Yeah. But it's kind of on a required reading list. You should read it. It's like you should see Citizen Kane, even though it's not as great a movie as some people would lead you to believe. It, it's just, yeah, one of those things. It's you, a marvel, and it's mu- you must see it. Right. But, eh. <laughs> Speaking of books that may or may not translate into good movies, World War Z? Zed? I'm not looking forward to that at all. No. Number one, I think you know my feelings on zombies. I do. They're kind of played out. Sure. And also because, as I understand it, they really messed with the source material on that. And the the farther you get from the source material... I'm a fan of adaptations. Yeah. Um, and I understand that something that's going to appear on screen is not going to be the same as it does in print. It's not going to be the same as it does on television. Uh, it's it's going to be a different animal. But they went so far from the original source material that that is concerning. Yeah. It's like, what you at that point, you're practically just banking on the name. Exactly. Yeah. I saw the, pre, the first teaser trailer that came out and was had a sort of, you know me, I love zombies. I'm the opposite of you. I had a real sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. Uh, a lot of, there's there's Monsters University, Despicable Me 2. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the kids' sequels. The Wolverine. Uh, as I said, a lot of the kids' sequels. <laughs> it could be a total fucking disaster. Uh, it could be. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I haven't seen a lot of press for Wolverine yet. And that actually kind of is not a good sign. Yeah. In my opinion. That, it's been flying a little under the radar. People know it's coming out this summer. Yep. I haven't seen a trailer for it anywhere. No. I haven't really heard much about it. Do you think they're just trying to sneak it in and hope that no one notices it? Maybe it's because they're concerned it can't compete with some of the other heavy hitters out there, like your Supermans and your your Iron Mans. Your Mans, both Super and Iron. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It it could be good. Does X Men: Days of Future Past come out this summer? I don't think so. I think that's still in development too. Yeah. Yeah. But I know that's one that's kind of in the in, in the, the hopper in the hopper, as it were. Yeah. What was there was another one I just thought of. Um, that I just saw a trailer for. I don't think it's coming out this summer. I'm I'm fairly confident it's not coming out this summer. But I finally saw a trailer. For the world's end. Ooh, what's that? That is the third movie in the Shaun of the Dead Hot Fuzz trilogy. Oh my god! It's uh, Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, and Nick Frost teaming back up, and they, uh, they, and several other of their friends are uh, back in the day when they were young. They went. They wanted to go on this epic pub crawl through this town. Okay. Starting at uh, this place called like the first post or something and ending 12 pubs later at the world's end. And they didn't make it. They could not pull it off. So they decide many years later, several decades later, much older, now played by the actors as opposed to people pretending to be the actors. um, They decide to try again. They're going to do it this time, except that they are hindered by an alien invasion. (laughs) Sweet. That's going to be but amazing. But they are determined to finish the pub crawl in the face of the alien invasion. That sounds incredible. Yes. That reminded me of another movie that wasn't on the sort of list that I was looking at of bolded uh, films. But I think nonetheless, I'll, I will see This Is The End, a movie by uh, Seth Rogen, which stars, you know, Michael Sarah, Paul Rudd, James Franco. They all play themselves. At the, at the end of the world. It just looks, it looks quite funny. It looks yes. like it'll be fun. It could very well be. So, world-ending stuff, yes. Interesting. And exciting. Agreed. Finally, um, before we wrap up, what about summer vacations? You get, are you and Anita doing anything special this summer? Nope. Because you, you guys did a big trip in the fall. Yeah. All right. Nope. Um, You're going to enjoy Nita it? will be... Uh, Nita's working stage managing right. again. Right. For... Uh, Two tickets to Broadway Productions. I want to say that's the name. I probably just mangled the name of the company. <laughs> I apologize. At any rate, they're putting on the Full Monty this summer. Oh wow! And uh, last year they did Avenue Q. Right. And she was invited back to be their stage manager again, and this year they're doing Full Monty, so she'll be busy doing that for some of the summer months. Then, of course, Fringe. Anita, big in Fringe. Yeah. Will be involved in that as well. You're not doing a Fringe play this year. Uh, I will probably be involved in Yegprov again. Nice. But that is going to be the extent of it. And that's always a fun romp. I, I always enjoy when I go to Yegprov. Indeed. 
and everyone should come to Yegprov. But uh, even if I'm not there, because uh, my friends will be, and they are all great improvisers, and they deserve your coin just as much as those rapid-fire people do, <laughs> who are also lovely. I'm not trashing them. No question. But uh, there are alternatives that you should also check out. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> but uh, me personally, no, I'm, I'm not really up to much this summer. Yeah, mostly, mostly work. Yeah, staying in town. Yep. Uh, Rachel and I might go away in the fall. Have some have some Canada Day plans brewing. Yes. You told me that. Yes. You told me I'm that. I'm not going to publicly discuss that. You told me that just now. It's not an open invitation. <laughs> but Sorry, friends. You can't come to Scott's house. This time. Maybe another time. Yep, maybe. Tell you what. I'll talk to him, and I'll see if he'll let you come next time. There you go. Yeah. That seems fair. I'm, cool. I'm willing to entertain the idea well that's good good to hear and you know um i don't don't mean for you guys to think that this is like our last show of the summer no we've got i think three more to do before uh we break so uh so that's basically the end of our solo show with no fast 15 because we've already fast 15 to each other multiple times yeah we do it often yeah it is gratifying and gross yeah really messy it gets messier every time Anyway, thanks for listening. (laughs) And we'll fill your ear holes with our voices again in the near future. Yeah. And voices is not just another word for penis. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 87, pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. The eggs are many, but the flavor is maxi. Mum, maximum. <laughs> you need to, you need to finish that. You need to walk that back.